Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Janine, it's a little bit of a milestone episode this week because it's episode 175. It's Ooh, a weird that's a nice number. but it's a nice round number. Yes, I, I like that. It's not a big official 150 or 200, but it's, it's a, a quarter away. It's a quarter away. We're, we're, we're doing good. Like not it. too long to go now. It's that episode 200 is going to sneak up on us. It is. Without us knowing, without big. us realizing, certainly. Certainly, we will have to do something significant for that. But it's episode 175 today, this week, on the main show. It's a wonderful podcast. And we're talking, Janine, another Fritz Lang movie. I feel like we've done. A few Fritz Lang movies recently, but actually it's only been one of them, and I think I've watched another one, so that's why I think we've done done more than just one. one. But that was the big heat that we did uh, a few weeks ago now with Glenn Ford. Yeah. We enjoyed that one very much, and we're back this week with another Fritz Lang noir thriller movie. That delves into a really kind of serious topic and deals with it, I think, very, very smartly. And certainly, as uh, as we like to talk about with Fritz Lang, has a very clear director message within the movie. Well, uh, and you know, now that I think of it, we have done more than one Fritz Lang. Have we? And... Well, we have in the past. Yes, in the past we have. Yes, Yes, I'm talking about recently. I think like recently in the last like couple of months, we've only Ah. done the big heat and this movie. I think I've watched another Fritz Lang movie. That's where. Okay. I thought you just meant on the show we've only covered. No, I know we did. uh, We did do M a long time ago. I still think M's just kind of like levels (laughs) above. Above, Yes. Um, But, but. That's beside the point. That is beside the point. We have a very, very good noir thriller to talk about this week. It's Fritz Lang's final American Hollywood movie before he went back to Germany to do other things. And it's Beyond a Reasonable Doubt from 1956, a movie with another famously boring title. Well, whether it's a famously (laughs) boring title or not, I don't know, but it is a particularly boring title for a movie that is not very boring at all. It's very much in the vein of uh, Witness for the Prosecution, which we also recently covered. (laughs) Yes, I don't think it's quite as bad as Witness for the... In fact, there's a weird conversation to have. What movie has a more boring title in comparison to the interest of the movie? Beyond a Reasonable Doubt or Witness for the Prosecution? Because I think Beyond a Reasonable Doubt is a more boring title than Witness (laughs) for the Prosecution. But Witness for the Prosecution is a more gripping movie. Yeah. So what? where's the, the, the difference between boringness of title and enjoyment of movie what's bigger witness for the prosecution or beyond a reasonable doubt i actually think it's the witness for the prosecution yeah because that's not a very interesting title for a ridiculously interesting movie and this is just an even worse most boring (laughs) title for still a very very interesting movie 
Yeah, um, I think they could have done better, but I really think they wanted to hammer those law themes home. It is, isn't it? It's just oh, what's a what's a courtroom phrase that we can lob this title with? Yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, yeah, whack that in there. It could have been called some. I mean, I'm not very good at titles. Even with just anyway. reasonable doubt, you know, <laughs> that is a better title. That is a better title, reasonable doubt, or or something like really campy, like the extraordinary murders of. Okay, see now you're just getting too long winded when you're. <laughs> Possibly, possibly, possibly. But <laughs> Beyond a Reasonable Doubt by Fritz Lang, 1956 is what we are talking about. Today, we've got Dana Andrews, who we have covered previously on the show. Janine, can you give me the name of the movie that Dana Andrews was in that we've covered previously? It was on one of your episodes. Are you sure? I am very sure. You might have forgot about it because he's not the most interesting man in the movie. Yeah, no, I don't remember. Even though he is the lead of the movie, it's Laura. Oh, yes. Dana Andrews, I was just more and Vincent Price. Price. I was just focused on normal Vincent Price in that movie. I was just like, yeah. He's just playing a normal regular old Vincent guy. Price. No mustache. Like, what's going on? <laughs> we also have Joan Fontaine in this movie of Rebecca fame and other movies. She's generally great. And Sidney Blackmer, who most people know as King Satanist from Rosemary's Baby. Oh, goodness. He is. That's who he is. He's the Roman Castavet in Rosemary's Baby. You know, Satan yeah. is his father, not Guy, that guy. Ah, okay. That's Sidney Blackman. That guy who says guy. (laughs) It's a good line. I like that line. Satan is his father, not guy. (laughs) He's just got a very good voice for that kind of delivery. Yes. And I liked him in this movie as well. Janine, before we get into the main discussion of Beyond a Reasonable Doubt today, I think we have to do something... Uh, we do. We have to say a huge thank you to the It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Yay. Why do we do that? Uh, well, it is one of the perks you get for being on our Patreon. Uh, at the lowest tier, you get a shout out every week on one of the shows. Uh, so we can show our appreciation for all of your support. Yes, because we love you. You are wonderful supporters of It's a Wonderful Podcast. If you would like to join us, on the Patreon, if you are feeling particularly generous, just go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that's right for you. We would love you forever, much like we love all these people. A big thank you, firstly, to Maxwell Haddad. And thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you to Abby Freel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to 90s Comics Box Janine's big brother, Justin. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Adelaide. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Heather Sabian, and happy birthday for last this week. It's this week period time, Heather's birthday. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Megan McCurley, a.k.a. Dr. Megs. Thank you to Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Finobie Steve. 
Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Kyle Feast. Thank you, Adam Collins. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you, GG. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you, our good friends Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yay! Patrons, they're so great. Thank you all, as always, to the It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons for your continued lovely support of the nonsense we deliver to you all every week on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed and ancillary things. Such as the YouTube channel and other things. I'm plugging too early, Janine. I'm plugging. No, it's too okay. Early. It's okay. Beyond a reasonable doubt, with Fritz Lang movies, Janine. I think we, with the fact that we've covered the Big Heat recently as well, I think it's fair to say the man likes noir. Yes. He likes tough topics and dealing with them in very kind of. I think this about this topic kind of way. I don't think there's much objectivity in Fritz Lang movies. It's all very, this is what I think, so here's a movie about it. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Um, I, they're also very character-focused. Um, you kind of sit with characters for a decent amount of time, so you kind of understand their motivations. Um, so that's kind of what we get here. Uh, Sidney Blackmer's character, he you know, is very much opposed to the death penalty, so, yes, because that's what this movie is about. You know, we're we're dealing with tough subject matter, really. Yes. So you know, him and his future son-in-law hatch a plan to uh, ultimately uh, kind of serve both of them um, in kind of proving that the system is flawed. An innocent man could get accused of things just based off of circumstantial evidence. Um, yeah just to prove that, you know, they are potentially putting innocent people to death. There's no way to a hundred percent prove uh, that somebody deserves to die in, in cases. Uh, so yeah, they kind of go about basically framing <laughs> uh, Dana Andrews. He ultimately frames himself for murder in order to kind of prove the flaws in the system. He frames himself as a piece of investigative journalism, almost. Yes. It? So his future father-in-law's motives are more about, you know, trying to prove that the death penalty is not a good idea. So that kind of is where it serves him. And with Dana Andrews, it's good subject matter for his second book that he's trying to write. He, his first book was a success. Yes. He doesn't really want to move forward with his life or his marriage to um, Joan Fontaine until he's finished his book, his, his second book. So he wants to focus on that. And he thinks, you know, if he puts himself right in the mix of all of this and goes through this whole routine with everything, that could definitely make for a, a great story and a, a second best-selling book for him. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it also seems to be that at the beginning of the movie, we have these discussions about the about about the the death penalty and the kind of pitfalls of it um you know what's wrong with it which you know this, this is a movie in the 50s this the death penalty is very much a thing in the 50s electric chair is still a thing you know we yeah. haven't developed to i feel like execution 
gone through went through stages janine you know beheadings hanging electric chair injection yeah and some somehow there's some weird crossover like sometimes like i feel like people still got hung far too late you know what i mean yeah have we not developed since then anyway i am monumentally opposed to the death penalty anyway so i kind of like this movie for also being monumentally opposed to the death penalty in kind of every sense yeah and i think it plays to that also that idea like if you really want someone to suffer for something they've done like just take away their freedom for kind of the rest of their life and you know See, this and this is what i so, this is what i think this is this is this, that's my genuine opinion on terrible criminals who at one point in history would have been sentenced to death like is it not more tortuous to just sit in isolation in in kind of dark miserable isolation for decades but then there's this whole kind of system of like just human rights um yeah advocacy that does make conditions for them a lot better than you know it's not exactly (laughs) it's not exactly yes with just getting bread and water and you know (laughs) having to fight for scraps of meat off the dog and things like that yes no like you know you have conditions where you can bathe and a bed and a toilet and you know, you're not shitting in a bucket on the side, and you know you're getting three meals a day. You're getting time this is to be outside. Prison. <laughs> yes. So then there's that kind of whole point of like, well, how much can somebody suffer nowadays with lots of human rights kind of issues? But I mean, back then, who knows like what it would what what it was like? You know. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. It feels, you know, and human rights, by the way, is important for any human regardless of who they are you know people are still people no matter how bad they might be still a person who deserves some base kind of rights you know that that doesn't go away i don't think um but i think that the movie's less about it's not interested in kind of prison reform or anything like that it is simply a movie that tackles the subject of the death penalty and how many innocent lives are lost due to the justice system being the way it is and being you know everything has to be beyond a reasonable doubt rather than this is 100 percent because beyond a reasonable doubt is not 100%. No, it's just, it's just like a good argument. 85%. <laughs> it's a good argument. It's somebody's words kind of getting in your head and if that's enough for you to kind of feel a certain way about something then you could be sentencing someone to death. Yeah. You know, whether whether it's true or not. So I like that these they are the of, ideas in the whole movie. Yes, so I like that they do tackle such a, a serious kind of idea because then it gets you thinking about you know how you feel about an issue like that and if you agree or disagree, um, and it gets you thinking about it, it, is that something that does really happen that a lot of innocent people you know are getting the death penalty when um, who knows when it's basically just circumstantial things that are yeah. are sealing their fate. 
and you know you don't have a hundred percent of the facts to make that argument no and, and like you said that's the whole point of this movie it's Dana Andrews framing himself with circumstantial evidence to try and prove the slightly corrupt system that's in place. Or, well, whether it's corrupt or whether it's just kind of laissez-faire almost. It's like, oh, well, the justice system has worked, so we have to sentence the man to death. Yeah, and we, we, We're not quite sure if he's done it, but beyond a reasonable so we have doubt. To make so this yeah, so like I'm it's the DA, I have to prove that this person's guilty. So yeah. I'm just going to say a bunch of things and throw a bunch of things out there and see what sticks. And, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, whether and he's the, truly innocent or not doesn't really matter. I just have to prove that he's not, you know. Because that's um, my job as exactly. the district attorney. And yes. the district attorney in this movie is, happens to be very good at his job and very persuasive in his job. A very a very charismatic lawyer doesn't he he's very good at choosing his words carefully i actually quickly would like to induct philip bonuff who plays the district attorney into the (laughs) mustache hall of fame because he had a lovely mustache it was very nice Uh, very distinguished looking kind of thick square mustache it's kind of imagine groucho marx without the paint Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of what I what I envision this guy's mustache to be like. It's a very good mustache. It's been ages since somebody's been in the Mustache Hall of Fame as well. So, Philip Bonuff. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations, applause, sir. Latest inductee to the Mustache Hall of Fame. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good in the movie. I thought everybody, performance-wise, was very... Very good in in this movie, to be fair. I don't think it's necessarily a massively memorable, unique movie. But it certainly, it knows what it wants to say. It knows what it wants to be. And it delivers on that. Yeah, I think it's very smart as well. Um, You know, uh, Sidney Blackmer's character, he actually does work for the paper. So they kind of go about this plan of finding like a story of a girl who has been killed and that's what they're going to, and they don't know who's done it. And that's who they're going to latch this whole kind of framing on, uh, on Dana, Dana's character. Um, So they do find this, this uh, dancer who was found in a ditch and they kind of read through the evidence and kind of hear what the witnesses have had to say. And so they play into all of that. They buy things that, 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 um, yeah. Uh, that the um, girls witnessed uh, yeah. the girl with. Um, they buy things that he wore and, uh, you know, his car is similar to the car that they saw the girl go off in. And um, so, you know, and they save the receipts and take pictures of everything to kind of timestamp that this was all things purchased after the murder. And, um, you know, so there's all this proof that literally he didn't do it. They're just kind of, setting up how they could make an argument out of things that really don't mean anything and and accuse an an innocent person. It's a very smart plan when you actually think about it. It's a very, very clever plan to make it seem so obvious that 
you are the one who has killed this girl. Yes. And, but, but make it so that in the end, when you are sentenced, somebody can come in and basically go, aha, I fooled you. Look at all this that I and, and look how stupid it was you all a trick. Like how stupid you look making these arguments out of things that, you know, are not even true. Get rid of the death penalty. That's basically what Sidney Blackman's saying, isn't it? Because um, Sidney Blackman, I suppose, in this movie is also kind of trying to, well, the DA is a little bit, has a little bit of a friendly rivalry with Sidney Blackman in this movie, doesn't he? I suppose there seems to be some sort of political office at stake. And then even like the assistant DA used to date um, Dana Andrews' character, Tom. Yes. Yeah, Tom's fiance, Joan Fontaine. So he has a bit of an investment in, you know, all a little bit as well. It, in politics, isn't there going on? And, and you enjoy that in a noir movie. You expect that kind of thing in a in in a noir movie as well. Stylistically, I think it's very it's, it's nice and it's kind of dark. It's dingy at times. It's certainly everybody's a grey character, which you ex- fully expect in a noir movie, and is always nice to see. In obviously. Uh, code movies as well is a lot of great characters that's why i tend to like noir movies a lot because they are not all the time you are a good person and you are a bad person yeah like like i'm always impressed by movies during coded time that can still kind of uh portray that grit and yeah um, you know, show those those gray areas of characters. Um, I think it's why we were so really impressed have by the big clear... heat and its brutality. Yes, and the kind of equality in um, that lead character and his wife. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so, yeah, I think it's definitely a testament to a noir film that can still have that kind of dark, gritty feeling in a time where, you know, everything is kind of supposed to be very black and white and good and bad. And, um, you know, you still kind of get, get your twists and turns and these gray areas of people. And um, yeah, you still feel kind of that dirty feeling, grimy feeling yeah. of, of, of what people have done and, you know, what's happening. You should, feel, you should feel that because that's the genre of movie we're dealing with. And that's the, quality of fritz lang as a director to be able to make you feel that kind of stuff it's not quite on the same level as something like the big heat that is you know violent and brutal at times but it's still it's dark in its own twisted way beyond a reasonable doubt yeah isn't it it it, it really is and certainly like with many noir thrillers you get plenty of plot twists Yes, um, most definitely. They play very, very well. They play very well. Um, you're always guaranteed a nice surprise. So I, I know think, you, you don't... don't necessarily, necessarily always see coming. No, and I know you are not the type of um, film watcher to kind of look ahead. You're always just kind of in the moment with things. Yeah. But I mean, are there points of a movie where, even though you're not thinking about a twist, do you feel like you're going to get a twist and then you kind of well, just leave I, it at that? 
the, the, my thing is when I'm watching noir thrillers, I expect a twist. What that twist will be, I have no idea. Okay. But I simply expect the fact of a twist to occur. You know, okay. I, so you I have no idea. Prepare for a twist. You just were not really. I prepare for on some, what it was yes. going to be. Okay. I prepare for some wacky plot revelation. Okay. But I ha I never have any real clue of what that is. I was like the same. Yes, but I always like that they set up different things because then, you know, I am somebody who does kind of look ahead a little bit and try to figure things out as the story goes along. So when, um, you know, they do set up that rivalry between uh, Sidney Blackmore's character and the DA, and then the fact that the assistant DA was, you know, former boyfriend of um, the accused's fiance. Yes, of Joan um, Fontaine. I thought there was going to be some kind of framing of them like once the truth came out that um you know he was innocent and they set this whole thing up that then they could turn it on the da and the assistant da and use that against them that like oh the only reason that you were trying to put me in prison and set up this whole thing and come up with these arguments with false evidence is because you have this grudge against me mm. uh, my father-in-law and you want to get in good with your ex, you know? So I thought maybe that was going to play in, in some way and they were going to be able to use, you know, what they've set up with those rivalries and those pairings to kind of set up the DA and the assistant DA. So I was like kind of creating this whole other thing in my head. And that's the kind of different, it's the different ways of watching movies, isn't it? It's the different ways of enjoying a noir movie is that you're enjoying it for the fact that, you think any anything could? Oh, you're you're watching out for anything to be a potential yeah. big plot twist and plot revelation, and that's what's entertaining you. And I'm more watching it for the fact that it looks really, you know, dark and shadowy, and everything's all shady and hooded in mystery. You know? Yeah. And I like I like the atmosphere of a noir movie. I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. What happens in that noir movie? is never the most interesting thing to me, but getting the feeling of it. What happens is, of course, interesting, but yeah. getting the feeling of it being being sat in there, enjoying the world of these characters, is always more interesting to me in any movie. Yeah. It is. That's just how I watch movies. Um, so I, are so we going... I, I appreciate this for this and the ideas behind the movie like i've said fritz like it was very obvious in m that you know all that time ago when we covered m on the show that fritz yes, lang and he wanted really to kind of really fritz lang really doesn't like um people being sentenced unfairly yes and that whole kind of morality thing came into play of you know what is the right thing to do you know a vengeful heart yeah. or um, you know, a more thoughtful approach to something like that. Um, the big heat, Fritz Lang really didn't like people who were in charge. And, and you know, we, we had these discussions, all this made sense being the fact that Fritz Lang fled the, na fled the Nazis in Europe. Yeah. He doesn't like people being in charge. And this movie, Fritz Lang doesn't like being, doesn't like people being, sentenced to death he doesn't like killing people that were potentially innocent he doesn't like yeah. that which is also pretty obvious when you realize 
Fritz Lang's backstory. Like it, it makes sense. And I, I like that because you think a lot of the time directors make movies where they feel they have something to say about a subject matter. I think the best directors always tend to make movies about this, whether they are more serious movies, more silly movies, more stylish movies, whatever. You always feel like the best directors have something to say with the movies they're making. But many directors don't seem to. They're just making a movie because it's a movie and that's what they do. Yeah. Sometimes. Fritz Lang, you always feel like, I have an idea, I want to say this, right? I'm making the movie. It's, yeah. it's very much like that. You don't. I don't even get that with people like Hitchcock. You just feel like Hitchcock movies are just Hitchcock going, I like intense things. So I'm, I'm going to make another intense movie with a blonde lead. That's what I'm going to do because that's what I like. But I yes, feel like okay, Alfred, Lang, he does have some social kind of topics that he wants to cover. And he finds an interesting way to get you to think about those things. Um, while he did still that being, over decades. Yeah, while still being entertained. Um, so are we going to get into the twists of this movie? Are we going to well, see? yes, I think I think we will we will okay. do the, the movie justice and, and deal with the nice plot twists that we do get because it's very it's very interesting. Okay, so um spoiler warning for this decades old film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's reasonable to give it. I mean we didn't give we didn't uh, spoil witness for, witness the, prosecution for the prosecution. We did, but that well, was we did the, get a movie's own request. Yes. Um so it does turn out that uh Dana's character Tom did happen to know the woman who who died <laughs> well even before that even before that you're thinking oh god no because sydney blackman blows up in a car accident yes it's it's he's you know they've accused him the jury has decided yes you are guilty for this murder um you know death penalty for you you're going away and so the father-in-law has to come with the evidence to blow this whole thing out of the water. Save and the day like yes, Superman. with all the pictures and receipts and everything. And as he's on his way, he gets in this horrific car accident. Car is burned into flames. All the evidence burnt up. And uh, Tom is left to just go to, <laughs> to prison. With no, no one left to save him anymore. Yes. So his... Uh, his uh, ever-loving fiance goes to her ex assistant DA and he kind of helps her figure out, okay, well, we need to figure out what happened to him. We need to find some evidence and prove something. Um, and I think at that point we're all sat there going, oh, that's the nice big twist in this movie is that he's actually going to end up getting sentenced to death when it was all a trick. Oh dear. Yes. What's going to happen. So then um, the, the assistant DA does do some digging. He finds a club that the dancer who was killed worked at, talks to somebody, finds out that the name that she's been known for in the paper and everything else was not her real name. Um, that she had an yeah. abusive husband, um, that she was kind of uh, blackmailing him and th there was fighting and arguing between them and they they reveal her real name. Um, so then he goes back and reveal and, and uh, relays all this information to Joan Fontaine. Um, and then they do end up finding a, a written letter of 
everything, documenting everything that they did uh, left by um, Sidney Blackmer. Uh, Sidney Blackmer, very thorough in his note-taking and documenting. Yes. Which, as an editor of a newspaper, you would kind of expect. Yes. So they do are able to find this written letter uh, from the father-in-law who you know documented everything they did so that is the proof that you know they were wrong he is free to go they get a pardon for him um joan fontaine shows up to to give him this good news that you know you have been issued a pardon um celebration celebration time and then he gets a little sloppy um you know he he says you know, he he's you know worried that Joan Fontaine still sees him as this terrible person, and he's kind of lamenting to her that you know he's been saying it over and over. He didn't know this girl, and then he does call the girl by her real name, Which and he, do, he wasn't supposed to know. That no, so she's like, uh, I never told you her real name. How do you know that? Oh, you know, somebody must have said it. It must have been in the paper. Uh, no, darling, that was not in the paper. So then he's caught. So he figures he can still sympathize with her and give her the reason that, oh, well, you know, I had to kill her because she wasn't going to give me a divorce and I wouldn't have been able to have a future with you. Um, I just think it's I, I, I think it's really mad from a plot perspective, actually. I think it's a really interesting plot is you frame yourself for this seemingly random murder that you have actually actually committed. But it's like, do you think he would have gotten away with it? Um, Like, had they not come up with this elaborate plan in the first place? Like, nothing would have outright led to him. Yeah. It was like, why why go about that in the first place? Because you're too confident, Janine. This is the... I mean, it's not an instance of let's commit the perfect crime out of sheer ballsiness yeah it's it's not not, it's not a rope situation no this is a it is it's it's kind of a random thing that happens and sydney blackman goes oh i've found a homicide for us to frame and get rid of the death penalty on yay and dana andrews is like he must be thinking inside his head oh this is one i've actually done Oh dear. Yes, let's go on with it then. Right? Yes, yes everything's so fine. Maybe, maybe he thought if he fought against it too much, it would be obvious. Maybe he did feel like there would be something to kind of link him to it. And so he didn't want to take that chance and, you know, maybe bank on the whole double jeopardy system, which is kind of a little thing that I, I actually liked in the remake which we will discuss in a little bit um, yes because we've got a deja vu as well that they did give him a reason for wanting to 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 go along with it because he wanted to take down a corrupt system himself so he so in the yeah. remake he kind of has the same values of the of not only kind of covering up his own crime but also wanting to take down corrupt DA, you know. So I do think from a story perspective that trying to cover up your own crime by framing yourself for your own crime is a very interesting way of going. Yes. But I did like in the remake that it was, you know, him also take wanting to take down corrupt people, 
Yes, know. and a corrupt system. I, I, so I must so admit that note made sense because you know when you kind of think about it, you're like, oh, that's a clever twist. But then you think back on it, and you're like, why would he go along with this? He probably would have completely gotten away with this if it wasn't for them meddling kids. No, he would. Yes, Scooby Doo was there. <laughs> yes, Here's um, Vel Velma comes into play at some point. God knows what she's doing. In this movie, jinkies. Um, but she's there. <laughs> it was old man Smithers in the, tur in the turtle. It was all. It was all old man Smithers, all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, you would think he would have probably gotten away with it, but he without going along with it. So then, really, what were his true reasons aside from getting, you know, a story for his book and maybe winning well, favor with his future father-in-law? B well, both of those things, but also the fact that the plan was to the plan was to frame him. Yes, I know it was his own crime, but the plan was to frame him and then trick the DA so it was obvious that it wasn't him. So he actually now has fabricated this evidence that plays him innocent rather than that plays him guilty. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in all the p fact that Sidney Blackmer takes all these pictures of him getting all this circumstantial evidence together that he actually already had in the first place, but we don't know that until the final 10 minutes of the movie. You know? Yeah. Um... So that's what he's interested in. So that that from my... I, I understand that, personally. And I, I think I they did mention kind of the whole double jeopardy thing as well, that if he's charged with this crime, he can't be charged with it again. So that would also take that off the table if you were to at some point get caught. So I think it, it's a matter of they don't really tell us how much evidence they had before he kind of started planting things. No, they don't. So maybe there was a chance that they could have been on to him at, at a certain point in this investigation and so maybe that's why he took his chances with you know well we can uh beyond a reasonable doubt prove that i yeah you know fabricated evidence to make me look innocent i think that's a better shot than taking my chances to see if they find me out on their own um so maybe that's what what made him feel confident enough to to go along with that as with any noir movie, Janine, you have a hell of a lot of intricate character decisions. <laughs> yes. And so then we do uh, kind of go back to our black and white at the end where, you know, Joan Fontaine. To, it wouldn't have yes. allowed to be a movie if it no. hadn't. So Joan Fontaine does not stand by her man. You know, he tries to plea with her and, and, you know, she reports it and says, no, he did actually do this. And they turn his ass right back around <laughs> and take him back to his cell. Because um, the Hayes Code's still in full force in the mid-50s in Hollywood movies. Yes. Criminals are not allowed to get away with their crimes, Janine. Yes. No matter if the fact that I actually think the ending of the movie would have almost been better if he had if yeah. we'd known he had done it, yes, and the revelation that he it. had done it, and he'd gotten away with it, that would have been considerably Insane. more interesting Yes, than the obvious way you have to end it because we have to adhere to certain things, don't we? Yes. But something that but threw me off fine. a little bit as well was... um. 
when the assistant DA does show the old boss of the woman who was killed, his picture, he doesn't recognize him. No. Do they mention, do they mention like, because obviously it was him. So how did he not recognize him? Do you recognize everybody that walks into each building? No, but I'm saying like he knew him to be a husband who would constantly beat up on his wife. So how did he not recognize Tom when the assistant DA showed him that picture if he knew him to be a constant source of abuse for, you know, his prize dancer? I don't know. I don't know. I have no I have no answers for that. This is not what Morgan focuses on in the movie. I have got okay. no idea. I was far more interested in the fact that that one dude who was the boss of the dancing club played a villain in the 60s Batman show. That's what I was more interested in. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That fact, not necessarily the intricacies of why didn't he recognize Dane Andrews. Dana Andrews, to be fair to him, looks like every other 50s actor white man. So <laughs> I wouldn't reckon. If you were to show me Dana Andrews next to somebody else, next to, say... Well, I mean, we did establish... We did establish... We did establish this week um, that you are face blind. So. I am a little bit face blind when it comes to certain people. I, I am. It's a it's a shame, really. But no, I, I wouldn't. If you showed me a picture of Dana Andrews last month when it had been months and months since I'd watched a Dana Andrews movie and you asked me to name that person, not a chance I would have been able to give it you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So I, w- I wouldn't recognize Dana Andrews next to any other 50s white man actor. Okay. Random. But I mean, I, mean, I just thought... I thought they would have like explained it later, maybe that oh, you know, maybe he had a beard or he looked scroungy or something, and he cleaned himself up, and that's why you know he looked different. But it was just like they showed him the picture, he didn't recognize him, and then like nothing really came of that. So I maybe was it's just like, left okay. to interpretation, or maybe it's just left to the fact that this club owner is far more interested in watching his dancers. Because when, but I mean, it's just when you're laying out clues and you're kind of looking at things and paying attention to everything and, you know, that builds to this twist, you know, you kind of want to make everything mean something or something must, everything must be significant to um, what leads to this finale. So yeah, when, when I see something and like, it doesn't really, you know, add up to anything or add to the twist or the information we get later, I'm just kind of like confused. So, well, maybe that's a slightly <laughs> confusing element to this movie. Then, like, like I said, I think Beyond a Reasonable Doubt's a very good movie. I think it deals yeah. with its subject matter of tackling the death penalty and trying to bring down the death penalty in a very, very clever way and a very, very, a very, very obvious, you know, kind of I hate the death penalty, I'm Fritz Lang kind of way. Yeah. But you expect that, you know, you don't mind that. He's got something to say and he says it well, much yeah. like in the big heat, much like in M. He's got something to say. He says it well. Yeah. Um, and, and very clearly. So you don't mind that. But I, I you know, for, from my 
perspective, I thought the story was very gripping. You know, it's a, it's a noir movie. You get the vibe of it. I would happily watch this movie plenty of times again. This is not, by any stretch, a mediocre movie. No, definitely not. It's not, perhaps, as good as the other Fritz Lang movies we've covered on the show. But by no means is this anywhere close to mediocre. This is a very, very competent movie. Yes, and um, definitely keeps and piques your interest throughout. It's really well paced, uh, which uh, I cannot say about its modern 2009 remake. Well, let's 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 perhaps start our deja vu and would you like me to sing the song yes please deja vu deja vu deja vu deja vu yay which i don't think you did it on our um mutiny on bounty episode so yes i was probably too interested in charles lawton (laughs) floundering around the place like some sort of manic troll creature yes um yeah so 2009's Beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, exact same title, uh, exact same plot, really. RKO Pictures still that was there as RKO well. Pi- I'm like, like, what? That felt that weird. Was still to around me as, as in RKO. 2009. No, <laughs> I don't. Like, as far as I'm aware, absolutely RKO was not still around. Yeah, in 2009, so what that was about. But um, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm gonna have to like weirdly search this now because. Yeah, that was very odd. RKO radio pictures, as we get RKO radio pictures, don't we, Janine? What's a radio picture? You can't have pictures on the radio. Yes. Um, So they do change some elements here. Um, Some characters kind of get morphed and combined together. Um, Yeah, RKO was bankrupted in 1959, so I don't know what. What that was, yeah, why they made this modern digital (laughs) version of that logo and all of that. It was weird. Um, And it even like said RKO pictures, blah, blah, whatever at the beginning. Weird. Um, But um, they do change some elements. Uh, The Tom character, um, the Dana Andrews character played by Jesse Metcalf is a reporter. Um, Yes who's kind of doing these ridiculous news stories and wants to do a, uh, you know, hard hitting kind of piece. So similar to Tom in that way, Tom's trying to write his second book. Um, This character is coming off, you know, a great documentary um, about a homeless woman um, who who died on the streets from a drug overdose and all of this stuff and her, uh, you know, great story. Um, so he's kind of wanting a big thing to come off of that. Um, he's tired of doing coffee comparison pieces. Yes. He doesn't like um, that anymore. So instead of the father-in-law character, he has a co-worker that he does kind of do this whole plan with. Uh, and I feel like that guy who played his co-worker was in Avatar. Yes. But also in no other movies ever. He was in Dodgeball as well. Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Oh, so he was. That's right. So he was yes. in Dodgeball, this movie, in Avatar, and no other movies ever. I have definitely not seen that particular actor 
in the entirety of the last decade. Joel David Moore. Not seen him in the last decade. Well, he's billed to be on uh, Avatar 2. Well, he was in the first one, so I imagine that's probably fair enough, but still not seen him in a movie in the last decade. He was he did he's done a lot of TV and he was on Agents of Shield. <laughs> Didn't watch Agents of Shield. Didn't feel necessary. Yeah. Is it actually a part of the MCU Agents of Shield? I don't even know don't anymore. Know. So yeah, just a lot of TV stuff. Um Well, fair enough, fair enough. I'm sure he's still doing fine. Yes. So, yeah, like when I first kind of saw the setup of the characters, I kind of just assumed Michael Douglas was going to maybe be the father of Amber Tamblyn, who was engaged to Jesse Metcalf, and that yes. was going to be that dynamic. I but thought it was Michael Douglas was definitely going to be Sidney Blackman, and it wasn't. He, it wasn't at all. He was the DA, um, who obviously they set up to be this, you know, great smooth talker in the courtroom. He's making people laugh. He, you know, he, he comes right in the at the end with the perfect you know piece of evidence that gets everybody as, to you know as we expect from michael douglas this is what michael douglas is good at and in in very similar way this is what michael douglas does in in this movie he comes in for a little bit absolutely owns it and leaves the rest of the movie to wallow in its mediocrity yes pretty much um <laughs> michael douglas we... is a shining light in this beacon of nothingness yes i think we had a similar michael douglas situation in another deja vu that we had with him uh the perfect murder uh yes where michael douglas was good in the movie and the rest of the movie was, it just, was just terrible <laughs> not good at all yes um so Yes, Jesse Metcalf, he is a news reporter, so he's trying to, he's he's wanting to fabricate all of this and mess with this system to get a great story and to call out an officer that he feels like has been planting evidence and working with the DA to kind of frame people and set people up uh, so that they can win cases, so that cop can look great and they could send people, you know, and to 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 death essentially um what confused me and well i don't know if confused is the right word but what kind of made this remake not just the fact that it is kind of objectively a very dull movie a lot of the time it, it takes such a good plot and such good ideas from the original movie and has absolutely none of the craftsmanship. Yeah, well, that seems to always happen with these deja vus, these remakes. They try to make it flashier. They try to kind of change the whole vibe of the films. Of course, they make it more actiony and more Why? sadistic. And um, yeah, it's, it's like the the bones, the bare bones of of the story that came before, and then they just slap on a bunch of rotting meat to the skeleton <laughs> and, call it a, and, call it, and call it a human. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? This, this is a person. Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> this is some raw is meat that? slapped on a skeleton. <laughs> I'm just imagining a, I don't know. a really wet splat sound. Yes. Just... <laughs> yes. I don't know if that metaphor makes it's a phenomenal any sense. analogy. I love it. I, but um, 
yeah, like you have the bare bones of this plot. So he is working with his coworker to both get them this big story for their paper and, you know, get their names back in, you know, uh, all of that. They're also trying to take down what they feel like is a flawed system with this DA and this dirty cop, you know, just planting evidence and, and sending people to jail, you know, when they, you know, really don't because have that they, evidence yeah, because it, um, that's their job to do that you yes. know so he does do it by any way they can yes he does form a relationship with uh amber tamblin's assistant da character so she's kind of playing the role of the assistant da in the original and the joan fontaine character so she's kind of yeah. a combination of both of those um so yeah we kind of combine characters and mix up you know who believes in what and the stances between everybody. So it gets a little bit muddled, but like I said, I did like the difference that, um, so it, it's kind of the same ending point. He does get accused. Um, Oh, story-wise it, his friend, his friend does die trying to get the evidence back to the courthouse as it looks like he is going to be convicted. Um, but instead of it just being a happenstance accident, the dirty cop who yeah, might true. be outed in this situation actually follows him and and is culpable for his murder and doesn't yeah. essentially murder him. He pushes his car out in front of a truck, gas is leaking, he throws a cigarette in the gas and blows up the friend with all the evidence. I just think I just think what that 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 scene in the original movie felt very you know, surprising out of nowhere, something that, you know, you, you go to all this trouble and this random occurrence. Happens. Yeah, just There's some shitty random. luck. There's no, this was random. No, in this, this was remake. just like, and he saw him coming. So it was this big, intense chase. And they tried yeah. to get action y running and driving and high speed chase. And they had added all this action y action in there. And it was just kind of silly. And then we also have this Orlando Jones officer cop yes. guy who's like a good cop uh so he's also kind of partly like the assistant da uh so you know you're just throwing in There's... extra characters and then fusing characters together instead of just having like your set characters doing the same things and then kind of at you should you could have had your twist how you had them but like just this weird it was too many people that you didn't really need um they really this tried the to infuse thing. too much action into it to tell the story instead of just you know really focusing on the bare bones of it this is the tough thing with the deja vu remakes janine is that you either have a remake that's along the same lines of this that tries to add unnecessariness in there <laughs> yeah or you have a remake like the TV movie of 12 Angry Men that is an absolute read the same script off remake with zero difference at all. You need to find a stylistic difference, but also kind of like the bounty did with Mutiny on the Bounty. You had a really intriguing different attitude towards the story yes in like the whole the bounty than you did in mutiny on the bounty which yes. is, is why the bounty is one of the better deja vu movies we've done re in recent months because you do have those bare bones of the original story 
but you change enough that make it interesting, that make you see something differently that that you didn't see the first time. Um, This remake of Beyond a Reasonable Doubt is just the same movie with added unnecessary action and a movie that deals with the same topics, but is nowhere near as dark. It's nowhere near as... But they think they're being, but they think feeling. they are being dark. Is they think they are being, <laughs> but they think they're being dark because they say crazy, sadistic, like you said, things. It's not an actually a dark feeling movie. It feels like a damn daytime soap opera show sometimes with the way it's lit and the way it's shot. There's nothing noir about the remake of Beyond a Reasonable no, Doubt. They definitely and it try needs to, just to make keep it that. Super intense and it's just too much at times. It needs to keep that noir to make it feel like the make it feel appropriate tonally. So did and it you, doesn't feel appropriate tonally. So did you like the twist of instead of it being an old ex-wife, it it was in fact the woman in his documentary that he said died of a drug overdose that was the woman he killed to get the doc because she was blackmailing him that she was going to out that he made up that whole documentary um so he killed her and he was able to get his documentary and the plot twist it's just a different plot twist i don't know which plot twist i prefer because they both fit inside their own movies there's nothing wrong with that being the plot twist in this movie it just happens to be that the rest of the movie i just didn't remember yeah, and, the, and the painting was just not great like it was so slow and boring at the beginning it wasn't until you know i kind of felt like okay maybe we're getting to this twist and i'm curious to see if they do anything different was where i kind of got a little bit more interested I just um, felt myself saying, where's Michael Douglas? Where's Michael Douglas? But I, where's I, like Michael I said, Douglas? I think the only... Oh, thank God there's, <laughs> there's Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. So I think, like I said, the one thing I did appreciate in the difference-wise was that, yes, the DA was corrupt. He was working with this corrupt yeah. cop to fabricate evidence. And so in that way, Jesse Metcalf was trying to do his plan to cover up his shit, but also you know, take down these corrupt people who were doing terrible things. So yes. I did kind of like that as well. It's I I I I agree with you in that sense. Because but everything else was uh... the the original movie didn't necessarily, you know, it didn't paint the DA as no. a bad man. No. It what well, it was the system he's following that was bad. Yes. It wasn't him. So this I thought movie that was is very much change. the individual. Yes. That so is bad. I, I I I appreciated that they tried to do something different with that, yes. and that that gave him more of a motive for wanting to go about this. So I, I like that was kind of the one change that I was like, okay, I can see that being interesting. Yes. But... <laughs> yes. However, the remake still has the death penalty aspect to it. Now this yeah. is two thousand nine. I wasn't even aware the death penalty was still a thing in 2009. It's not been a thing in Britain for years. Decades. I think in some states it's still a a thing. That is ridiculous to me. Get rid of it. 
So, so then frame yourself. Come here. Get it. Be come a citizen. Frame, frame, frame yourself for the murder. <laughs> get sentenced to death. And I'll I'll, I'll document it all. And uh, he dies in a car crash. <laughs> And I actually end up going to prison because I actually murdered her in the first place. And um, did did we did we low key get uh, a wannabe God with the Wind reference at the end of this movie? Ooh, <laughs> I was low key feeling like it was like a, a, pitif a pitiful version of frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It was, was yeah. it? It was the exact same situation. It's just Joan Fontaine doing it. No, at the end no, of Joan the Fontaine remake, does it, but also, yeah, but also, <laughs> Joan Fontaine does do it as well. Yes, so it's not you know, it's not quite as aggressively done as, as Amber Tamblyn, just like I don't have anything to say to you, and then she goes in the doorway and she's like, "Actually, I just thought of something." Fuck you! And then she walks out of the door, and that's the end. I'm like, were they Loki really trying to be like Clark Gable in the shut up with after right after that? I'm I'm imagining just some music coming on that. Sounds like it should have been in like face off or something like right? that. Right. Yeah, probably some very late two thousands like uh, generic thriller score number one. <laughs> yeah, literally called that on the soundboard. Yes, um, generic thriller score. So one. yeah, I will say I did appreciate that that one simple change of you know making it about taking down the D eight. So it, it did give him more of a motive. Um, that wasn't completely selfish while he did still have selfish motives in there. Um, and that, sure. you know, the DA did get found out that dirty cop did get killed. Um, but do we think get arrested that, and all of that? I, I just think that after the original movie being so much about, uh, we're doing this to get rid of the death penalty and show that it's very. Oh, unjust. To this movie, not not really caring that the death penalty is actually there. It's just more about get rid of Michael Douglas. Yes, get rid of a corrupt which uh, like, DA. I understand that, but then why have the death penalty in there at all? Why not just make it a, a the focus DA? about corrupt DA who's just planting evidence at the last minute sense. to win cases, to look good, to become governor, or whatever? Um, yeah, and why throw helping him? Why throw the obviously very controversial topic and deep topic of, of the death penalty in there if you're not actually going to say anything about it? Yeah. You're just having it in there as fact, as like, oh, we just deal, this is just a thing that happens. When Beyond a Reasonable Doubt as an original movie is very much not, oh, this is the death penalty, it just happens. No, it is definitely trying to say something to you about it, get you to think about it, get you to think about your perspective on it. And if you think it's right or wrong, um, while telling an interesting story around it, um, so that you can kind of understand uh, why somebody should get rid of this, why, you know, yeah. innocent people could be dying because of this whole thing. Uh, so is it something to even uh, have around? Like, is it right to even have that be a punishment when we don't know 100% if we're sentencing, you know, guilty people to death. Um, you just don't need the additions. Yes. You don't need them. The crazy garage chase and just... Oh, why? <laughs> the 
And there's just a lack of any sort of atmosphere in the yeah. movie. Yeah, and you don't so really evident. care. You don't really care about any of these characters. Like, you know, for a good chunk of the movie, when, when Tom does get taken away, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to him? This sucks. Oh, you're worried about him. You're you're yeah. feeling for him. He's still kind of your hero at that point. But Jesse Metcalf, I really gave zero shits about anything he did. He just seemed whiny and obnoxious and uh, you know, just and the, no. the sad thing is, Janine, is that I don't think Beyond a Reasonable Doubt is anywhere close to the worst Asia Few movie we've done. No, it just was really not not greatly paced, very slow to get get into the meat of the story. And then when you got into the meat, it was just kind of clouded by some ridiculous, you know, hokey action and and wannabe suspense. Um, there was kind of one interesting change in there. Uh, yeah. But then it kind of lost the point of what the original movie was trying to do was trying to get you to think uh, very uh, thoughtfully about a social issue um, in a very interesting way with this noir style. Um, and you kind of lose that interesting take on an interesting issue. You're just kind of making this flashy movie at this point, you know, so. I think the the most accurate thing I could probably tell you is as we as we like to do for milestone episodes on this show is we take a nice look back at what we've done previously say episode 200 of it's a wonderful podcast comes along Janine we take a nice look back I will absolutely forget that this was a deja vu movie that we did. <laughs> that's the most accurate thing I can possibly say about the remake of Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. I remember the good stuff. I remember the really bad stuff. But I do yeah. not remember the utterly dull stuff. Yeah, which was a lot. Which was a lot of it. It also, having gone so far into, you know, Deja View as a segment on this show now, it makes me feel like I behaved too harshly to some of the earlier Deja View movies. For example, uh, the the remake, that the Harrison Ford remake of Sabrina. Yes, Sabrina. Which is actually like, remake. I just remember not really thinking, oh, this, this is just a movie that has none of the charm of, you know, Audrey Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart, William Holden, Sabrina. But actually, like, I wish it more deja vu's were, were, were actually that good. And they weren't like this movie. Yeah, so I wouldn't call it a a uh, Defiant Ones remake, a la Fled. No, it's not. Um, it's not absolutely horrific. I'd put it on the level of maybe Flight of the Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, that feels right. Flight of the, the Flight of the Phoenix remake was just forgettable. Yes, <laughs> which is unfortunate because I do not like calling a movie forgettable because it takes so long to make a movie and there's obviously a lot of people that have done a lot of work to make this movie but we're here to talk about the movies in objective ways yeah. and it's just you're trying to remake a Fritz Lang Noir movie that had such an atmosphere to it and such an intricate craftsmanship to it and you you you're using none of that. No. You you're not doing that 
at all. You're making... I don't know why... I don't know what the point of this movie is, which is the saddest thing you can always say about a movie. What is the point of this movie? Yeah, What's and when you doing? have such great bones to build off from, like, you could definitely keep some of the stronger plot points and make simple changes to still, uh, you know, focus on what, you know, the, the original was trying to focus on, like the whole death penalty issue. Um, yeah. There's definitely ways to remake a movie, keep those great bones of it while infusing something that modernizes it to, to the time now um, and make it yeah. interesting and more relatable to what's going on now, as opposed to just adding a bunch of nonsensical, flashy action, uh, thinking that that's what's going to distinguish it and make it more interesting. Like, no, it, it just feels like added nonsense and, and noise when you had such a great simple story that you were telling, you know? I do. I do. Well, do we have anything more we would like to say about the original Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, Janine? Because I actually just wanted to bring up the fact that I always love the, um, I don't know what the right kind of descriptor to use, the dancers that always show up in noir movies that are always just fun. Like the movie yeah. can be really dark, but these these kind of characters are always a little bit of comic relief because they're always kind of half bickering with each other. Yeah, and it it always just entertains me. It just really puts me in the mood to what to just. It makes me realize why it makes me not realize, but. It kind of confirms why I love watching old movies because it's just the kind of interactions you, you just don't get yeah. in movies these days is, you know, showgirls bickering with each other in a dressing room and talking about how every man is dreadful. <laughs> it's just, I love, love, love watching these kind of scenes so much. I do. And then Dane Andrews comes in and they're all just like, you again. You, man. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. I love it. I love it. I really yeah. do. Really enjoy um, it. I thought one. they were pretty good as well. Yeah. The, the lady who played Dolly. I thought she was yes. pretty good. You know, for what she was doing, playing the... Kind of ditzy, like... Yeah. Ditzy blonde dancer girl that you get yeah. in every noir movie. <laughs> yes. But she's good. <laughs> She was good. Barbara Nichols. Let's give her credit. There you go. There you go. Anything else you would like to say, though, Janine, about Beyond a Reasonable Doubt? No, just enjoyed it. Uh, really solid twist. Uh, a movie with something to say about social issues and telling it in a very interesting noir way. Um, really, really enjoyable. Good yeah, job, Fritz. Very much so. Good job, very much Fritzy. So. Uh, I don't think he would take kindly to being called Fritzy. That sounds like a He's my insult. old pal Fritzy. <laughs> I feel like that sounds like an insulting name that allied soldiers nah, would have he likes used it. in the World War Two, you know? Nah, he likes Ooh, it. Oh look. Oh, let's let's kill Fritzy. It's because old man that's just Fritzy. The, the name for any German person. It's old man Fritzy. It very much sounds like 
a name they would have used in World War II to refer to any German. <laughs> That's what that sounds fine, like. To fine, me. I won't call him Fritzy. You can call him Fritzy if you want. If you want to, you might. You after might have gone shaming, by that. I really don't. After know. that shaming, that wasn't a shaming. Fine. That's just a hilarious kind of thought. That's what Nazi soldiers would have called him. So you should. No, I said that's what Allied soldiers would have called any Nazi soldier. <laughs> Fritzy. Yeah, you know, like yeah, what? What else do you have? Jerry for German. They're just all called the same name in in war movies, aren't they, Janine? And in I suppose the real war as well. I wasn't there for the real war. I just watched the movies. That's a very kind of ignorant thing to say. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> I don't mean to be ignorant. Anyway, there we go. Yay! Well, that has been episode 175 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. This show is, of course, not the only show we have on this feed, though, is it, Janine? No, we also have Machine Mondays every Monday with me, Janine the Machine, talking all things Schmodown. And, of course, every Wednesday, we have Morgan Hasn't Seen, where I force you to watch things you haven't seen. This week, we yeah. closed out our series on LGBTQ movies. So, yeah. We did, with Love, Simon. This week on Morgan Hasn't Seen. And it was episode 100 of Machine Mondays. Some mega special big episode of Machine Mondays this past Monday. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed every single week. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and all the other places. Find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. I've already talked about the Patreon but we also have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel for you to go and subscribe and do all your notification bell dings on. I think that's what you say, isn't it? Ding yes. the bell. Get your notifications. <laughs> Find out when we post new videos. Yay, YouTube. That's how it works. Uh, we also have that. And find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E in there because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at the Purple Dom. All your glorious, moody, dark, horrible stuff is where, but it's not horrible. I didn't mean to say horrible. <laughs> oh, you can find me on Twitter at Janine Debean underscore Janine Debean on Instagram. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my T Public shop at G9Design on tpublic.com. It's just when I get in kind of a mood of things and I just rattle off various descriptors Words, yes. it just seems to work for me anyway janine i think there's only one thing left to do again nobody's got a really interesting voice it's just a shame when nobody has a really interesting no. voice I, I just really don't know what to say i'm not going to make you do a stereotypical kind of german speaking accent for fritz line because that's just disrespectful yes uh, that's just disrespectful. keep it simple this time Please three two one Bye. Bye.